Hello and welcome to the latest Tez International podcast with me, Danworth. In this month's episode, we chat with Brendan Law, the Director General of MISC Schools Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, and Dr. Terence Brady, the MISC Innovative Curriculum Development Lead, about work they're doing to develop an entirely new curriculum as part of the Vision 2030 strategy in the country. They explain what's informing their curriculum planning, the innovative approaches they're taking towards leadership and internships within this, and how they're drawing inspiration from other approaches across the world to inform their planning. All that and lots more on the latest TES International Podcast. Hi both, thank you so much for taking part in the TES International Podcast for what I think is going to be a really interesting conversation. Um, Brendan, why don't you kick off and just explain a bit of the, the context of what we're talking about here, you know, the school you're at, your, your, the role you have, and what it is ultimately you're trying to achieve with this new curriculum design. Thanks, Dan. It's great to be invited to, to join you and thanks to you and the TES team. Um, I'm Brendan Law. I'm Director General of MISC Schools in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. Um, and MISC Schools is part of uh, a, a very big picture for education for um, the, the future of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and uh, the, the future developments, um, particularly with His Royal Highness uh, Crown Prince Mohammed and his vision for the development of youth in the kingdom. So we form part of the MISC Foundation. Uh, mm. We sit under the umbrella of the MISC Foundation, which is his organization, his foundation, established for youth development across the whole kingdom. And our primary focus as, as MISC schools um, is to introduce a new paradigm in education uh, for the kingdom, but hopefully mm. also um, to, to really you know question the status quo and potentially consider um, opportunities for um, new ways of approaching uh, curriculum development, um, as assessments and the way in which students are assessed, uh, and also in terms of the way in which our, our curriculum and our program runs for them, plus also um, to really look into the detail of, of a new campus development. So our, our task as a team here at Miss Schools uh, is to develop on the curriculum side, to develop on the campus side, to develop on the, on the assessment side. Uh, and not to do a cookie cutter approach and just plug in a, a British curriculum or an IB curriculum, but look at something new and fresh, um, which is going to be particularly bespoke and unique and um, and realistic and, and and appropriate, more importantly, to yeah. our Saudi community. That that must be quite exciting to to be able to do that to take a, a fresh approach, as you say, to a curriculum and not just think, okay, well, we can adapt, you know, what, what, what we already know, but actually just step back and think, well, what, you know, the way you describe it, there, it's an entirely new curriculum. It's it's clean slate, you know, that must be both well, exciting, but maybe a bit daunting almost as well, even. Yeah, I mean, I can remember when I went to interview, um, I've been here for 18 months now, and when, when I met with the board um, you know, in, in the, in the build-up to that, um, I can remember saying to them, and I still really genuinely believe this, um, it's it's the most exciting opportunity in world education right now, in this mm. schools. Uh, I, I mean that in all sincerity, and, I, and, and after 18 months, I feel that even more passionately. Um, yeah, I mean, for, for sure, it's a little bit daunting. Um, it's a lot of hard work because you, mm. you are literally building something new and fresh uh, on multiple fronts at the same time. Uh, and so it's, it's, uh, it, it's certainly taking a huge amount of capacity as a team, uh, and it is very much a team approach. Um, and I'm, mm. great, I'm delighted to have uh, Dr. Terry Brady alongside me um, on this journey, um, particularly on the curriculum side. And we have specialists in all of the different categories that I mentioned earlier uh, working alongside us to to help us grow and develop it. Um, but no, an extremely exciting time to be in Saudi Arabia, uh, the mm. Vision 2030 that the Crown Prince has 
um, established here, uh, and the and the, the the rapid developments, very positive rapid developments in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, are exciting in themselves. And then, from an educational point of view, to be part of that um, overall vision for the kingdom uh, and also for the school, uh, a hugely exciting time to be in. Mm. That sounds great. And and maybe this is a question, uh, Terry. You can come in on as well. So there's this there's, there's this desire to create this new curriculum and, and sort of future looking curriculum what what then does that entail you know how do you do something like that how do you ensure it doesn't not to sort of disparage the current systems but how do you ensure it doesn't just become actually the same as what already exists under another name but it is something innovative and, and, and different and, and forward-looking a very good question dan uh to be honest with you when, when we came here we had the blessing of having foundation documents giving given to us which were based on vision 2030 as brendan mentioned and the foundation documents had within that uh, a pedagogical framework. It mm. had uh, a graduate profile. Uh, it had a breadth and depth of exactly in what kind of innovation should take place. Okay, so when it comes to innovation in the curriculum, I mean, particularly COVID has actually shown us and it's highlighted to us that the old, you know, and, and you think of the vision of 2030 and the vision of the school, way before the pandemic, was I, I describe it as educationally courageous. It really is taking uh, a vision, 2030, into a school context, into a curriculum development context, and really asking the question of what kind of graduates do we want for our young people in Saudi? You know, and so we started, and you start with curriculum, with the outcome. You start with the graduate, what kind of graduate do we want mm. at age 18? And with that, with that graduate profile, we worked backwards, backwards design, and that gave us and led to our our aims for the, the curriculum, including innovation, because innovation doesn't have a clear definition in education, and it means different things to different people. Mm -hmm. you know? So it's is innovation in the curriculum, or is innovation uh, done around the curriculum using technology, assistive technologies, or so forth. So it's that clear definition of understanding, aspiration, putting it into a framework, coming up with a, a plan, a pragmatic plan, and moving forward mm -hmm. in partnership with core uh, core partners. You know, so you, you mentioned about the innovation. There's one thing that must always remain within curriculum, and that is the academic core. So it's okay for us, and I, I read a lot of articles recently on TESS and other articles, and people are calling for a renewal, a reflection on the old IGCSEs, A-levels, are they fit for the 21st century, and so forth, which, which is fine. But the academic core must remain the same, and that's what we have mm -hmm. achieved here. Okay, we, we look at what was done well. We, start, we started with the, a positive premise. What is done well in education, which is the academic core? We call it the golden thread. How do we measure the progress of children where they should be? It's age-related. But we've minimized that. You know, we have prioritized the basics. Mm. And around that then, the moving part is the innovation, is the pedagogy, is the 21st century thinking and moving. Uh, and that's how we actually begin to innovate in the whole area of curriculum, we have secured it. We it's very secure, but it's forever moving in a secure manner. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, it doesn't. I think you're absolutely right to say that academic core, because I imagine that, you know, you're not going to get a sign off on something that, that sort of does away with all that kind of stuff. But the innovation element is particularly interesting. And what are some of the things then that you, you have incorporated into the curriculum that are, that are different or that you would say really stand out? You know, is it in terms of, you know, like you said, the skills that you want graduates to have, is there now going to be direct teaching on leadership, on collaboration or something like that? You know, what does that actually mean as a sort of day in, day out area of teaching or engagement they might have in the school? Yeah, I think it's an absolutely great question. And, uh, you know, I think for us, the exciting piece is, is, um, is firstly building. I, I think when we, when we first started, I, I described the school as, um, as foundational. Um, so we, as Terry has said, we, we, we first had to put the foundations in. I used the analogy actually of a, a comparison between the, the, the Burj Khalifa or the, in, in Dubai or the, the, the Kingdom Tower here in Riyadh. Um, versus the Leaning Tower of Pisa, um, you know, the, the ones with foundations um, and, and the bedrock, you know, they go 160 meters down to the bedrock um, mm. compared to um, the, 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 you know, building up in the clouds. And, and so many curriculum developers, I think, start with the building in the clouds mm. and forget about the foundations. Um, and then, of course, you know, you end up with a Leaning Tower of Pisa and you're trying to reverse mm. engineer. Um, we've taken the opposite approach um, and, and we've worked really hard for the first two years actually on the core. Um, so putting in a, you know, a very clear um, foundational rubrics around assessments and and and, and progress and content, um, but the innovation stuff is is where Terry particularly um, is is coming up with some really fantastic exci- and exciting um, areas. I mean, I, I think our key words, if, if if I were to just give you a quick overview, and then I'll ask you know ask Terry to get into the detail. Um, but in terms of our overall context, and this relates very closely to the Vision Twenty Thirty. Um, firstly, um, we, we work very hard to ensure from an innovation point of view that it's personalized. And everyone talks about, you know, child-centered and all that sort of stuff. It's been around for for generations, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you make a program genuinely personalized? Well, we're very blessed here with incredible resourcing. So our staff to, to student ratios is one to four at its maximum. Very few schools are in a fortunate position to be able to say that. Um, but that does allow us to really ensure that our children follow a unique pathway. And we can use innovative techniques such as working with Priya Lakani's Century Tech team um, to, to develop you know, methodologies and approaches to study on that. Um, we're also really into experiential. Uh, that's another key word for us is giving children as many opportunities to experience their learning. Um, a third key word for us is maker-centric. Um, you know, we don't want children to be consumers. We want them to be creators. Uh, and so it's really important to us that um, we, we build a curriculum around that particular word um, and make sure that children get um, a, a, you know, plenty of opportunities, both in terms of the content and the curriculum itself, but also in terms of the facilities that we provide for them, um, mm. opportunities to really do uh, rather than just you know, use and learn and, and regurgitate. And then the last word that we we, we have as a, as a key word for us is unfettered. And unfettered, as, as you will know, is you know, really sort of breaking free from the mold. And that, that's uh, partly to do with space orientation. So the new campus that we're designing at the moment is going to be very flexible. Um, mm. Multiple opportunities for children to expand their learning, to take charge of the space that they learn in. Um, and then also in terms of assessment. And how we assess children, and that for me is where Terry comes in on the, especially on the developments now with our fourteen to sixteen developments on the curriculum, um, which we're just about to to un- unleash um, with our with our first students coming through. 
mm-hmm. which is really where we think about assessing children in in such a wide range of things. And, and you mentioned some of those, uh, and like leadership, and Terry will, will speak to that in a moment now, I think. Yeah, yeah that's a very good question, Dan. You know, there's, there's 14 to 16 curriculum, uh, particularly, you know, in in this. I mentioned earlier that we start with the premise of an academic core. That means that we're safe and secure and ethical when we deal with parents, but equally so, on the other hand, we're disruptive in our approach. And I would say courageous in our approach, because quite simply, you know, we do not want children to go through and get 11 IGCSEs, three A-levels, you know, and we look at the attrition rate at universities and particularly this pandemic really has highlighted it, it is not fit for purpose, but there's a lot of good things there as well. So mm. what we have looked at, well, what does work well there? And however, what do we need to prepare our children for? So we actually had the courage, and I used educational uh, courageousness there. And we, take, we took the academic core and reduced it to 25% of the, the young person's time in the school. Mm. Then we have 25% of that time dedicated to national identity subject areas specific to uh, Saudi, Arabic language, uh, Islamic studies, and so so forth. Then we actually have a leadership course designed equal to that of the academic core and the national identity core. And of course, we have an internship core, Mm. which basically means that the young people of from 14 to 16, academically, they're going through a, a rigorous uh, framework, which, of course, has to prepare them for the 16 to 18 and beyond. But with the national identity, you know, that, that will, you know, judge and they will be the, the, the source of, for instance, ethical thinking when it comes to project work, because we'll be project based. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not too sure if you've heard the term phenomenon based learning. It's a framework that comes from uh, Finland. And we kind of will be taking in on that cloak and it means interdisciplinary project work and so forth. But that has to be ethical, you know, in approach, mm. but also evaluated ethically. And that's where our national identity subjects come in as well. But the leadership and internship are equally as important and disruptive because we will have young people. And in terms of uh, international qualification currency, we are working in partnership with the, the Agency for Qualifications and Skills to weight the, the currency of that in terms of UCAS points or university admissions. Mm. But what does it mean at 16? You know, instead of the child coming along as you would at 16 with your 11 IGCSEs and, and what, what will we have at 16? We will have children academically prepared for the 16-18 core or pathway We will have children who are rooted in their Saudi culture and values, very rooted and ethically guided through that. We will have children who are uh, uh, leaders because they have taken part in a leadership course and that will be project-based as well and connected with the rest of the curriculum and assessed equally so uh, through CMI. CMI have come come on as uh, partners with us, also with a group called the IDG group, who are a leadership group. And they work very closely with Sandhurst Royal Military Academy, and they will be partners with us as well, which is really exciting. And of course, internship 
the, one of our uh, core values from our foundation documents is that we give our young people real life experiences. That by the time you know they reach 18 and go to university, they will have experienced work, you know, substantially, not the one week uh, work experience that you would experience in the UK. Off mm. we go and it's normally a, a good jolly. <laughs> it's real, it's substantial. And those yeah. young people will have a portfolio to back that up. It'll be evidence-based. All of those practical work-based uh, certificates, you know how to fix a photocopier when it's broken. You don't run away and ring a technician. That's the kind of graduate at 16 this program will uh, will deliver in mm. preparation for the 16 to 18. There was quite a lot there to, to sort of to maybe pick up on, but I mean leadership element particularly why why is that seen as such an important thing i mean i mean leadership as a general idea obviously is important but why did you feel that was something you wanted to give as it were 25 percent of school time to you know what is that something that's coming from a sort of seen as a real key need of future graduates in the country and in the school and that is that the is that the reason um mostly it's it ties in with vision 2030 mm. uh, and also the vision for missed schools itself um Founded by the Crown Prince um, and and by his desire to see the future leadership of the kingdom, he, he's investing heavily uh, in the development of youth. As I said before, through the Misc Foundation, and the schools program is specifically set up in order to create and develop opportunities for the future leadership of the kingdom. You know, we have a large um, group of students who come to the school on scholarships. Um, we we seek and attract. Uh, the very very brightest minds. Uh, the school will become a boarding school um, as part of its vision as well. So we mm. won't just be for Riyadh based children, but actually students will come from all over the kingdom. Uh, and we will have 20% of our population will also be um, within the school will be international students um, from all over the region. Um, and um, and so, but but obviously his his key focus and and our key focus is to develop leadership potential in all disciplines. So, you know, we will have students here who will go on and be ambassadors and um, and, and leaders in government and, and, and in various other key posts within the kingdom. Um, and we've got students uh, with that capacity within them. Um, we also have, um, obviously, we're attracting and bringing in with a, with a quite a strong STEM focus to our to our program and, um, and technology. And STEM mm. is a very key feature for Saudi and its future. Um, but it's not just locked into STEM. It's really a, a genuine STEAM focus. So um, part of Vision 2030 is, uh, is, is uh, a wonderful uh, new development, um, uh, which is really connected to the Cultural Commission. Uh, and there's, an 11, there's 11 commissions. And we're talking there about quite a broad range of, of, of um, topics that you might be surprised to find. Um, culinary arts, for example, or textiles developments, um, mm. you know, the music and the arts, fine arts, creative arts, um, innovation in the sense of um, filmmaking and animation, um, gaming, gamification, um, esports, all of these sorts of areas uh, all form part of the Cultural Commission. So our intention is to build programs for students like that. That's where the internship program comes in and that's where the experiential learning comes in. Um, and where our new campus will have facilities in all of these fields alongside wind tunnels in the engineering department, for example. You know, so whether they're building uh, an electric car uh, that they're going to go and race on our own go-kart track um, mm -hmm. or whether they're going to be 
um, out in the fields, um, you know, doing some experiential work on our, on our farm to look at, um, at ways in which we can grow crops in the desert, uh, or whether they're up in the kitchen using the food that they've just grown in the farm, uh, to create, you know, the, the next uh, amazing menu, um, mm. that they'll then serve to their parents as part of, you know, an, an, an entrepreneurial program and possibly even sell it. Um, you know, all of those sorts of programs uh, will be encompassed partly because that's part of Vision 2030 and partly because it's uh, within our program. And, of course, leadership is critical in all of those areas um, because they need to grow and develop the collaborative skills and, uh, and, and, and looking at everything that's coming out of, uh, of, of the latest educational thinking. We know that collaboration and the soft skills are equally important. And so if we can build the development program around that, we're meeting that need alongside some really creative and innovative new programs. But that, that's, that was a very interesting way of putting it because I think you, know, you, you talk about, I mean, if, if one talks about leadership, you kind of just, for some reason, we all, I think we all possibly still default to thinking about, or it's easy to default to thinking about the world of business and, and you know, someone in a business leadership role, whereas actually something you described there are far from that, but they're still enc- encompassing those sort of skills, which I think is a good point, isn't it? That leadership doesn't have to just mean you can run a meeting or run a business or read a profit, a profit and loss sheet. It's, it's many more things than that. And, and in, in a way, that sounds like it probably links with the internship side too, because in doing that, I presume that's when you get a chance to put some of that in action or you get to learn what you like doing in the workplace and what you're good at, what, you know, the kind of skills that, okay, you're not, you may not be academically brilliant at everything, but you can actually take what you do know and use it in a real world setting. How do you, how have you gone about creating those relationships with, presumably with real world companies of all types to then be able to say to them, we, you, you know, students will be coming to you to work with you for what sounds like will be quite a sort of ongoing kind of relationship not that one week as you described earlier that one week in and that's it but more of an ongoing thing how, how has that all come about uh, to be honest with you Dan, it's highly personalized in approach uh, each child you know we, we have in, at school what we call plps or a personalized learning pathway for each child so even in the 14 to 16 in the same way you if you're in the uk you have blocks of block a block uh, b and so forth for this set of IGCSEs going the science route or the art route or whatever, we actually, we, we give a personalized timetable. Not one boy's timetable will look the same. as the, So our internship, our leadership is actually, will reflect that as well. I'll give you an example. We have a, a young chap in, uh, here at school who I would say is singularly gifted and talented. In other words, that would be around the whole area of computers, coding, and so forth, really, really gifted, but would present uh, cognitively as average. In in an ordinary system, he probably would have been chewed up and spat out and his giftedness lost because, you know, you're not getting your AMAs, therefore you can't go and do whatever coding. But, you know, so we support that kind of, and that's the innovation in it. It's highly, highly personalized. In terms of the partnerships, we literally look at the gifts of the child, of the, the person, and we work in partnership with them and their parents, and then we will approach uh, real, because we want uh, them to experience industrial level, uh, experience and tools uh, and so forth, and build that adult resilience. You know, of course, we recognize that they are still children. It's holistic. They have the support of our whole well-being and pastoral teams as well. Mm. Uh, but it's it, it's still robust, and uh, it's a stepwise approach. We have a soft uh, introduction, of course, to employers, 
uh, we use we have tools like the Duke of Ed uh, Award as well, you know, to give that kind of framework for internship in partnership with uh, our internships. Our, our our parent body, of course, is extremely well connected, many of them. Um, so that's a, a, a huge advantage. Um, and so what we do is, um, is, is use those tools, plus our board is extremely well connected. Um, and has a, a both a very powerful reach within Saudi, but also externally. Mm. We, have, we have an exceptional education committee um, with some some of the world's finest educators um, of the moment uh, on our board. Um, and so we've got this really extensive um, opportunity to develop partnerships. So using that young lad as an example, um, you know, he he will have internships within the, the Federation for Cybersecurity because we have government links. Uh, we can feed him straight into the Federation for Cybersecurity and he will have partnerships there. Through the MISC Foundation, um, we have extensive partnerships in, in many different fields. Um, Manga Productions, for example, which is a MISC Foundation company, is a filmmaking, robotics um, and, and animation uh, and gamification um, a team. Uh, really innovative work that goes on there. We can partner with them and have children who've particularly interested in that area. We just recently had meetings um, with the Culinary Council and, and, and the team that are building and developing the culinary arts. So we'll have partnerships there. And so any child who shows a particular talent in that area will be introduced into that field. Um, and so it's really working on taking the academic program, um, which gives them the core skills that they need academically, of course, um, maths, English, science, uh, and, and the core areas in terms of national identity subjects, um, Arabic, etc. Um, and then building across through leadership and then into this work experience, uh, but not in the, in, in the one-week sense, you know, to give them literal flexible timetables where they could spend an afternoon a week um, in yeah. on, on the job training and working in the field uh, and really learning. Because when I talk to universities and when I talk to employers, they want children who are employable and, and ready to go. Uh, and not just then. I mean, I've, I've always... Felt as, as educators, we should be taking the, you know, the the glass ceiling off education and saying, why is it that a child age 14, 15, 16, and there are many examples around the world now, there are a lot of very innovative schools out there. And we've done a lot of benchmarking and we've done a lot of research into what other schools are doing. And I know, I've seen firsthand, um, you know, some of the stuff that OECD has published recently shows that 15, 16-year-olds are, are solving world problems and coming up with incredible ideas. Um, so why shouldn't we be giving these students opportunities to not just you know, be developing an academic curriculum, um, knowledge and, and, and regurgitating information in terms of assessments and exams um, mm. and, and getting their 41 points at IB or, or 3A levels or whatever it's going to be, um, but coming out with real uh, tangible uh, certification and qualifications for on-the-job training and, and, and even management training. Uh, but alongside that, um, you know, having the, the, the kind of rounded skills and development that um, has even solved some of the world's problems right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot of, um, you know, we're, we're definitely expecting a lot of young people these days, aren't we? But I know where you're coming from with that, that if they've got the right aptitude, we should enable that. I think one thing that I'd like to pick up on as well is, as early you, you touched on this, you said that um, sort of, I think it was 20% of of pupils will be from international schools or international students from across the region. I presume you mean across the sort of mid, the Middle East. Um, is the how then how are you balancing that issue whereby it's clearly a, a very impressive sounding school setup? You know, 
opportunities and so forth. But also, it's, it is a new curriculum. It, is, it isn't going to be the traditional, as we've said, like ICSE or, or IB or whatever it might be. How can you overcome maybe then the reticence or the, or the understandable sort of nervousness, maybe, is that the right word, of parents who might think, well, I, ultimately, though, will my son, daughter get something out of it that's going to be open doors at university and other employers? You know, how do you, how do you sort of cross that, that issue? It's a very, very good question. Uh, uh, and it's uh, not just the international 20% exactly. of parents that will ask that question. Well, yeah. The Saudi yeah. families will ask exactly the same yeah, question. And I have parents breathing down my neck as I speak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and to be honest with you, I think it, it, to be honest up front, we are not a school like any other school. And it's something when I meet parents, I do say this. But the secret, of course, is to be who we say we are. Uh, and we are, and as I said before, we are not looking to the IGCSE, uh, IB and say, you know, saying that's not a good system. We're starting with the positive and we're taking in uh, what we see as good. So, for instance, our academic core is made up of IGCSEs. Okay? But what we're saying is by reducing the cognitive load that these uh, transferable skills and capabilities through the other cores will actually produce a graduate or potentially or contribute to a graduate at 16 and prep for the 16 to 18. So we literally uh, work are working with the agency, UK agency, for qualifications and skills. Uh, and hopefully in about six months' time, we will weight all of these cores together, Dan. And again, this is courageous from their end as well. Cambridge are being courageous in partnership with us as well. Because I think a lot of these credible partners in education realize that things must move and change and develop. I, you know, and so they are uh, willing partners here. So we will put this through and we will uh, weight a middle school's diploma, our own MISC middle school's diploma, and be able to actually evidentially, empirically, say to parents, this is, this is what it's worth. It's an alternative pathway. Mm. But I, when we were developing this, I did look at MIT, I did look at Yale, and I did look at Oxford. Not that I'm not looking at any other universities. I just looked at their criteria for admissions. And there were key words that kept coming up from the deans of admissions in those universities. Authentic, unique, uh, volunteerism was one that, that came up, leadership skills, resilience, as well as the academic core. So they have a commonality in their, their approach to admissions now. And that is actually the pathway that most schools are offering isn't kind of meeting their needs. So that's what, in terms of ethics, in terms of credibility, yes, we're being disruptive, but foundationally we are ethical mm -hmm. and we are sound. It's a great book. Um, Terry mentions Yale and it brings to mind a wonderful book that I read a few years ago um, by uh, Professor William de Rizovich. Uh, it's called Excellent Sheep. Uh, and he derides the uh, public school, as in the private, you know, the, 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 the pro <clears throat> private school system in America, um, for producing kids who can take great, are great at taking tests, but can't think for themselves. Um, and uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a, a leading um, professor within you know, one of the great universities, really questioning whether, in fact, the education system is doing a grave disservice uh, to education in general. 
And I think it's, uh, you know, as, as Terry said, we're not for a moment criticizing those schools that um, continue to plug away with a, a full program of GCSEs and A-levels or those that are doing the IB program. You know, there's a lot of merit mm -hmm. in those programs. Of course they are. And we have a huge respect for them. Um, I've, I've come through, um, you know, many, many years of very happy education, um, within uh, the British system, for example, which is, you know, largely my background, um, in the UK and also in the UAE, setting up schools there. Um, but just genuinely, as I've come through education myself, and if I look back, perhaps in my, in my time at Bedford School, when, when I first went to the UK in the early nineties, um, and had a wonderful time there, Back in those days, there was time in the curriculum for children to explore the sorts of things that I think have been lost over the last 20 or so years because of this obsession with assessment. And mm. when I spoke about the unfettedness of assessment, I think you know we've become so fixated with assessment for assessment's sake and uh, being able to evidence and prove progress and all that sort of thing, um, which has been counterproductive in terms of the, the breadth that we've just been talking about now in a curriculum. Um, and it's a real shame that we've lost some of that. You know, I can remember the lower six, for example, being a brilliant time in, 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 in Bedford school boys career as a chance to really explore before they got into the serious business of getting back to the academic core and getting the final results that they needed to go into Oxbridge or wherever. Um, you know, they could be the, the chairman of UNESCO or they could be, you know, there, there were opportunities to really expand their horizons, join the CCF, do all these sorts of extraordinary things. Uh, in a very, very full and varied program. And as more and more pressure on league tables and assessments and all those sorts of things have come through the last 20 years, I think schools have lost the ability um, and lead school leaders haven't been courageous enough to say no to that kind of approach mm -hmm. and, and say no to league tables and say, we're not going to get involved in that game. We're going to do what we believe is best for our children. And I think that's really what we're trying to do is be courageous in education um, to, to put back in again um, what has been lost, but has never, not not lost, uh, when I say lost, I mean in the sense of it was there, it has been there. Yeah. Um, but I think the last 20 years have shown us that actually we've we've kind of gone in the slightly the wrong direction when it comes to yeah. assessment. And we should be assessing children in the full breadth of everything that we're trying to do now. Um, and it's an exciting time, it really is. Uh, mm -hmm. But don't, I'll come back to that that analogy that I used about the foundational structures um, you can't build up in the clouds. You can't have a highly innovative curriculum. And I believe that our curriculum with the breadth that we're offering is highly innovative. Um, but at the same time, you can't do that without the core. You still have to evidence that core. And hence what Terry's doing in partnership with, uh, you know, the, the qualifications, authorities, et cetera, is to be able to evidence to our parents, first and foremost, uh, and to the students, of course, and to do them a great service by giving them the currency they need uh, and to give the universities the evidence that these children, first and foremost, can cut it in the exam room and they can cut it in, in, in terms of academic qualification, but at the same time have all the other um, add-ons that come mm. with what is a really brilliant profile. And we hope that that you know, is, is an inspiration to other schools to start thinking along similar lines. Well, but that that was a, that's a very um, effusive sort of sort of sort of answer there and some insights, and I, I think a lot of people listening probably would agree. And, and your final point there on you know our inspiration and ideas for other schools is is apt because it was going to be sort of my last question in a way, which is some of the things you've talked about here sound fantastic, but they also sound very much like the fact that the context of your of where you're working and how you're sort of funded, I guess, is the right way. The connections like you described, you know, from the board, the people, the reach you've got, that's all great stuff. 
even some other, you know, good high profile international schools maybe won't have that kind of, you know, that that reach or that, that funding or those facilities. But presumably, would you say, or what would you say about how could there be that shift and how could other schools, you know, what could the education system writ large across the world do to sort of pull back from what you just described, that, that over-focus on assessment? How do we put aside things about the context or the money or the reach and say, how do we sort of bring in what you're sort of discovering through creating this kind of new focus curriculum that could actually work anywhere in the world? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked in all sorts of contexts. Um, I've, I've worked in South Africa, you know, in, in very underfunded schools, 35 in a class. Um, mm. And honestly, I don't believe for a moment that funding is a limiting factor. Um, I've worked in, in heavy for-profit contexts, um, as, and we're in a not-for-profit context now. Um, I've experienced all of them. I, I think what it comes down to is vision and values and what you're prepared mm. to spend your money on. Um, and and even in a for profit context, if 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 the budget gets used in the right areas, uh, and if the the board and the school leadership um, can agree to a joint vision, which is what is best for children, because at the end of the day we're educators, we're we're here for the in in, in for the best in the best interests of the children. Um, and you don't have to be an exceptionally wealthy school uh, in order to be able to run some of the programs that we're offering. Um, you know, this is, this is, you know, academically a core curriculum. In fact, in many ways, I think you can save a lot of costs because we're not going to be offering, you know, 15, 16, 18 choices at GCSE. We're offering five. Um, mm. You know, we're not going to be offering, um, you know, every subject under the sun. I, I know when I was setting up schools in the UAE, we were looking at offering 25 different A-level options. That's an expensive exercise. Why don't we take that money and channel it into a slightly more, you know, into a reduced, um, what, what used to be, you know, sort of a core group of 12 subjects for the Russell Group, for example, and the facilitating subjects as, as they were at the time. Um, you know, if, if you offer just the facilitating subjects, which is the, the kind of core academic program at 16 to 18, and then invest heavily in your leadership development program, um, you're saving, you know, it, our leadership program will cost us no more than three or four teachers. Um, you know, so it's a, it's about putting your money where your mouth is in terms of what you're actually trying to achieve uh, and, and investing in the right areas of the curriculum. And you don't have to be a rich school to be able to do that. I really don't believe that. You know, I've, I've come from a pretty humble background myself in terms of South African education. Um, I'm working now in a fabulously, um, you know, well-off environment in many ways. Um but it's the same. The kids of all levels and in terms of economies uh, can be educated in the same way, particularly now, because I think another great thing that's come out of COVID is the ability to offer amazing programs at, at a much reduced rate because of online learning. And if you get a blend of, of the use of online where you, you don't have to pay vast amounts of money to bring lots of people over, um, that you can run courses that are very specialist um, yeah, we could we could sign up a, a partnership with a university and have you know world class professors coaching two or three of our mm. children for a relatively minor cost compared to the cost of having a teacher full time in that particular area. There are all sorts of creative ways you can mm. think about these things. Yeah, and, and Terry, I don't know if there's any sort of final point you'd make on that, or how you sort of that idea of innovation for the future of education at large. Absolutely, Don. For me, it's it really sets out uh, a government level of courageousness mm. you know they really have to be as courageous and i won't give an example without overusing or over you know 
emphasizing this, the Finnish model. Because why people often ask about the success of the, the, the Finnish model that came to all of our attention in 2001 because their PISA tests were way up here. What were they doing before? They started the reforms in the 70s. And it was only from the 1970s to 2001 that it was realized. As whatever you look at what they did, they tackled it at a societal and government level and were courageous. They threw mm. things out. They became more relaxed about uh, education. They start uh, school a little bit older. You know, teachers, for instance, have to be, have a master's. They're well invested in. The salaries are hard. So it's a societal thing. What do you want mm. out of education for, for your young people? I'll give you an example. Uh, we talk about the new normal, okay, and this is the new normal of COVID. You know, let's look at the next normal. And I think the next normal is education has been disrupted already. It's an opportunity. Let's look at that disruption in, again, the ethical, safe way. You asked about selling things to parents, a disruptive new way of looking at things like this. I think, again, once you prove that you are uh, ethical, we have in education our non-negotiables. And it's one thing as a teacher, because that's we're teachers. You know, mm. we're not going to stand in front of parents and sell uh, fluffy bunny rabbits. We literally stand and we, we do our research and we, we, we sell something that is uh, credible and is truthful. It has integrity. It is sincere. And it is in line with the core values of this school. Mm. You know, so the same thing with global education. It is, I think, ministers of education. I'm not too sure if you know of the, the chairman of uh, COBUS who wrote a, an article recently for TESS, Trevor. Mm. Yeah. Well, and in that, he, he basically tracks the history of educational reform in the UK and picks out moments of courageous decisions. Mm. Uh, after the Second World War and so forth. I think, I mean, this has obviously been a war of sorts on a virus. Mm. But from an educational point of view, I think governments, ministers, educators, let's come together, let's be brave, but also, you know, ethical. Uh, yeah. we're, we're not going to be completely disruptive and you know, we're, we're ethical people, we're an ethical profession. But let's be courageous, look at it. And look to the next new instead of the next normal. And if I may tee up perhaps a future conversation, because I know we're coming to an end, um, but uh, maybe we could pick this one up again. But just to pick up on that finished point that Terry was making, I think another key area um, that at government level um, where Finland got it right was they invested so heavily in teacher training and leadership training within the, the profession. Um, it's the second hardest profession to get into in Finland after medicine. Um, not many countries can say that. Um, mm. And it's because they invested so heavily in the teacher training. And and I think um, it's something that we could perhaps chat about again in the future in another session would be um, our own teacher training academy, the, the Mr. Schools Academy, because we're also about to begin that. Terry's already started the work on that. And we're, we're, we're investing heavily in teacher training here and leadership training here um, mm. for our Saudi colleagues. Um, 50% of our staff are, are Saudis. Um, and we're developing them um, in all sorts of ways. Uh, and that's another key area to get it right. So if we, this innovative stuff that we've been talking about, it starts really with the core um, of, of the quality of the teaching and learning. Um, yeah. and, and you need the right staff for that.
Yeah, we're absolutely right. That is another very interesting area, and I'm sure we can talk about that again, or, or maybe say you could you could write something, and you know the, the, the listeners, could, listeners could find that in the future when that's online, because that is an interesting area. And like you say, um, it's, it's amazing how often Finland does come up um, as a model that people sort of take inspiration from. And, and obviously, the what you're doing sounds like it could definitely have you know impact and interest and, and offer insights for people in many ways. And, and obviously, to your final sort of point, there, it's not going to necessarily be replicable. But that's not really the point, is it? It's about what, what can we adapt, what can we learn, what can we innovate, and and education you know doesn't need, shouldn't stand still and, and and obviously won't now and i think work was going on already and it's been accelerated by the pandemic so um yeah it'd be very interesting to keep in touch and and, and you know no doubt hear about how things go and the developments and how you know the sort of the impact it has so definitely sort of look forward to doing that but but thank you very much both for giving your time to talk now i'm sure you're both very busy with all the work you've described um, but it's been really interesting to uh, hear all about it and i'm sure listeners have, have sort of found that interesting and um, you may get some emails i guess maybe from people wanting to find out a bit more so um, but otherwise yeah thank you both again that's great you're very welcome thank you dan thanks for the opportunity take care